Well, good morning again. The winds of revival continue to blow in Dorisville. What you just heard from Tiffany was awesome. I'm going to preach, but you've already heard the best sermon you're going to hear today. And it's amazing how it just ties right in, really, with what we're going to say. But when people are willing, and we've seen this now, this is the fourth time in the last four or five weeks. When you see people believe you want to be authentic and transparent, that's a sign that God is working. And um, pretty cool, amen? Pretty cool. All right, well, listen, there are several guests here today. We're just so glad that you're here. Um, I asked Sandy Hunt. I said, y'all going to be there Sunday? Y'all going to the game? She said, no, we're going to be there. I said, well, y'all can be one of 12. That's good. Um, we, we knew we knew there was going to be a ton of people gone um, today because of the game. And praise the Lord. You know, my purple shirt on. That's awesome and cool. But God's already just done some incredible things. I, I prayed in our little circle also. God never concerned himself with numbers. You know, he, he's number two or three are gathered together. And so we are so glad, and especially so many guests today. And uh, we're glad to have Bruce's sisters with us. How cool is that? Bruce Hankins' sisters are here. I don't think I've met them before. And that's just a real honor to have you guys with us and some others. So we're just glad that you came to worship with us. Now, we're in the midst of a, a study um, on the book of James that we've entitled Growing Up Jesus. And um, it's kind of like, you know, when we're saved, when we become believers in Jesus Christ, then it's, that's, I mean, that's all for salvation, but it's not all to the Christian life because then we start the growing process. We grow up in Jesus. And we discovered what better person to teach us about growing up Jesus than a guy who grew up with Jesus. And that, of course, was James. James was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was his big brother. And every time I say that, I still find that so incredible. And I was walking sassy this morning early, and I said, you know, I wonder if you know, some of the things we hear from James are so Jesus-like. And you just wonder, did he see this modeled out in the life of his big brother, Jesus Christ? And we know James did not become a follower of Jesus Christ until after the resurrection. But you wonder all the things he saw in Jesus... We see written now in the book of James. And so, so we find ourselves in this whole gig, you know, James chapter 1, this is our fourth lesson, I think. This whole thing so far has been, Tiffany, talk about life and trials. You know, how do you, how do you respond in trials and tribulations and all those different things in life? And James says, count it all joy. And, and we found out joy was not necessarily the woohoo, okay? It was more of a peace and a well-being in the midst of that storm that, hey, I can trust God. My God is sovereign. Satan's not in control. My circumstances are not in control. My Father's in control. And I can trust Him because of that, because He's in control. How incredible, how awesome is that? And so we come today now, and this is a chunk of the most incredible scriptures in the book of James. Now, the original sermon title, which would have been really good because I have the Nike check mark, was a slogan that Nike came out with just do it. Just do it. And so that remained the title until this week. And I said, you know, that is really not what I'm trying to get across. In fact, it almost teaches something that I'm trying to dispel, and that is, come on, Christians, just do it. And I came up with a much more something title. Ooey, gooey, doing. All right, now, now, what is that? Well, first off, let's talk about the ooey, gooey part. Okay, now ooey gooey, um, well first off, there's the good ooey gooey. You know what good ooey gooey is? Good ooey gooey is called ooey gooey butter cake. How many of y'all have ever had ooey gooey butter cake? Hello? I 
I mean, it's like a little piece of heaven right here on earth. It's pretty incredible. And this is one cake, by the way, in case you have the opportunity, if you've not tasted it yet, go for the middle. I don't care if you walk up on the buffet table, you know, like a, a feet here at church, and no one's cut that sucker yet. Listen, listen, go for the middle. No one's going to say a word because if you've ever had gooey cake, ooey gooey butter cake, you know the middle is where it is at. It's got a cake mix. It's got uh, no cream cheese. And like you take a bite of it and like, hallelujah. It's incredible. It just really is incredible. It just really is incredible. Okay? All right? It really is good. So that's the good ooey gooey. But, 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 there's also not good ooey gooey. Now, let me tell you what um, not good ooey gooey is. Not good ooey gooey is when you're sitting on the couch one night. And you have a hankering for something sweet. And so you go look and see what Judy has in the pantry. And what she has in the pantry is a brownie mix. And you say, that sounds good. So you go in there and you dump the stuff in there, you know, and, and you, know, you start mixing ingredients. And you go to the refrigerator and you look for eggs. There are no eggs. Nor are there any egg beaters. So you go ask your wife, what happens if you don't have eggs? And she said, it won't work. I don't care. We're going to try anyway, you know. We mix this pu- I do. I'm sorry, not her. I mix this puppy up, okay, pour it in the pan and put it in the oven and bake that thing. And what comes out is the biggest ooey, gooey mess you've ever seen. I don't know what causes this. I know eggs help things rise, but like there are pools of oil, okay? It's like, it's like it didn't mix together. You know, and I said, ooh, this is an ooey, gooey mess. And guess what I did with it? No, I tasted it first. <laughs> and it was an ooey, gooey mess. And into the, well, actually down the garbage disposal, my ooey, gooey mess went. Well, doing's the same thing. That's why I, I you know, there's a good kind of doing. There is. But, but I'm, I'm worried because I really think in Western culture, we have a real habit of equating doing like we have to do it all. Like, 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 I'm a Christian now, so I've got to do it. And, you know, I've, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. And that's just an ooey-gooey mess. Because, again, only one person has ever been able to live the Christian life, and that was Jesus Christ. And so what happens is we lead people of faith in Jesus Christ. They get saved and they get baptized. And we send them to Sunday school class or a small group or something like that. But, but then, unfortunately, we, we lead them to believe, okay, now, just come on. You, you can do it. You can do it. And, and you know, I'm, I'm convinced we can't. Oh, well, we can keep a few rules. But we really can't live the Christian life as Jesus Christ lived life because it can't be perfect, and only He was. But but the good side of doing is that when we discover the good ooey gooey, the butter cake ooey gooey, is when we learn that Christ can live it through us. Now we have responsibilities in the doing part. There's there's a part of it that certainly we, we play a role in. But the bottom line is, if we're going to do the ooey gooey good stuff. It's got to be Jesus Christ living through us. And that's what this whole chunk of scripture is all about. Now, I'm not sure when I did the sermon sheet maybe like a week or so ago, but somehow I left off a, a couple of very important verses. So if you've got your sermon sheet, we want to start in really in verse number 19 of chapter 1 of James. 119. And, I, and so, but I, I just got to be candid with you. So, so we're, oh, well, I can't be too candid. We've got hurt. Okay? So, so anyway, so I told Judy, I said, Judy, I just really, I just know this scripture had something about anger in it. And I look at the sermon sheet and there's no anger. You know? And I realized I left the verse out. That's why. Okay? So anyway, so here we go in verse number um, 19 of James chapter 1. Here you go. 
My dearly beloved brothers. Now, now again, James is writing to 12 tribes of Jewish Christians who have been dispersed all around by persecution. They're going through the trials. And he's really trying to connect with them, okay? It's like, it's like when you really want to talk to your husband and wife, you're like, honey, okay? So, so he says, my dearly loved or dearly beloved brothers, okay? Understand this. Now, again, if you're taking notes, underline that in your Bible or write down your sheet. He's really saying, listen. Listen to this. You know, hear me. Now, now again, it's very important that you understand that, that what you're about to say, James, is hugely important. So he really says, he says, my dearly, dearly loved brothers, understand this. Everyone, how many? Everyone. That's important. Now, not everyone lost people. Not everyone who have not received Jesus Christ as Savior. Not, not everyone who's not a Christ follower. Everyone who's a Christ follower. Okay, that includes guys with papers on their walls that said they're, you know, they're deacons or, or pastors, okay, or just every person, okay? So everyone, he says, must be three things, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So, so we got to be, now, now the, two, the first two kind of go together. Quick to hear, slow to speak. Now, this is really cool, I think. This is really cool. The connotation in the Greek, the, the picture in the Greek is that it's an active listening. It's an active listening. It's listening with the intent of implying. It's listening with the intent to apply. Okay? Now, you guys know. You guys know. Now, especially ladies, you know this. We men wrestle with this listening thing, don't we? Okay? Guys, let me help you out. So your wife walks in the living room, and you're watching television. Okay? You got remote control. Here's kind of what it looks like. You are in your nothing box. You don't care what's in TV. You're smashing buttons. So she walks in and says, Dwayne. Dwayne. Dwayne, listen to me. She's got my attention. Okay? Now, if she started speaking before she got my attention, I would say, I, I, I'm listening. Am I? No. No, I'm not. And, and, even, and even sometimes, okay, you can look at a person. Okay? And convey a message that, that you don't know you're conveying. It's like this. She's going on, you know, not, this is not Judy. But, but, and you're going, listen, when you're listening, let me give, let me give a clue. Whether you're a pastor, a counselor, a teacher, or just a person, when someone's talking to you and you're doing this, they're saying, A, you've gone too long. Now, don't try that on the sermon, okay? You've gone too long, or I haven't got time for this. So either one of those, you know, that's not active listening. Active listening, when, when Judy comes in the living room and says, Dwayne, can I talk to you? And I actually respond. I actually say, what's up? Okay? And, and I'm engaging in the conversation with her. She can tell by my, uh-huh. Uh-huh, yeah, right? My body language is saying, I'm hearing what you're saying. And when James says, be an active listener, that's what he's saying. Now, whether, whether listen, whether it's the Word of God written, whether you're hearing the Word of God, whether a speaker is speaking, whatever it might be, the overall context is, hear the Word of God. Be an active listener to the Word of God. So, so whether you're listening to a guy talk like me, or whether you're reading the Word of God, or perhaps God is speaking to your heart, like Timothy implied there, we are to be active listeners. We are to listen with the intent of changing. Okay? Now listen, that's hard to do. 
But that's what James says we are to do. And then, obviously, the flip side of that is be slow to speak. Because rare is the bird that can listen and talk at the same time. Most of the time, you know what we're doing? We're saying we're listening, and what are we doing? We're thinking of a response. Already we're wanting to send something back. James says, no, 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 no. You actually need to listen. You don't need to worry about, are we going to beat the Methodists today? You don't need to worry about, well, well, we're so-and-so today. You need to really devote yourself. When, when you're reading your Bible, okay, you need to really focus and hear what the Word of God is saying to you. Slow to speak because you can't talk and listen at the same time. And then he throws in slow to anger. It's a rational tie-in with slow to speak. Because what's the big picture? Trials and tribulations. He, he says this. He says, um, slow to anger, for man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Now, here's the deal. Here's the gig. We know, you know, the Bible says in Ephesians, in chapter 4, he says, be angry, but don't sin. There's a kind of anger that does not lead to sin. But when we're in trials and tribulations, if we're not careful, anger wells up. It might be anger at God. It might be anger at someone else. It may be anger at circumstances. But anger has a tendency of welling up. And James says, don't let that happen. Be slow to anger. Because anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. It won't get the job done. So, okay, there's a place for anger. But never anger and sin. And particularly in tribulations, we have a tendency to lose our cool. To lose our balance spiritually. Okay? Now, he says this in verse 21. Therefore, put away... Now, notice the therefore. It ties together. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Uh, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Now, now, in the Greek, again, and you all know I'm not a Greek guy. This is stuff I've read, okay? But, but here's the deal. When he says put away... It's active. It's, it's once for all. It's a once and for all deal. James says, listen, listen, listen. We've got to reach a point in our lives when we finally say, sin is sin, no excuses. We've got to reach a point because most of us, come on, come on. Most of us in the culture we live in, we excuse away just about anything we want to do. If, if we get mad at someone, if we want to forgive someone, if, if we have an affair, whatever it is, we find a way to excuse it. I deserve it. It's all about me. It's all about me. They did this and they did that and he did this and she wouldn't. He did. And so consequently, we excuse it away. James says that we need to come to grips with sin. That sin is sin, no excuses. He says, put it away forever. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And again, that's not perfection. Because will we be perfect here? No. But it does mean reaching a point that we say, that's sin. And oh, by the way, and sin is not my master. Because Christ's power lives within me. So he says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted or engrafted word which is able to save your souls. So he says, as you, now watch, watch how it all ties together. As you actively hear the word of God and as you receive it, engraft it into your souls. 
Make it come apart. You know, if you take a fruit tree and graft a limb in there, that limb becomes part of that tree and even takes on the nature of the tree. He's saying, let the word of God become so much a part of your being and able to save your souls. Now, wait, time out, Dwayne. You said he's talking to save Jews. What's up with that? Well, I'll give you some spiritual terms and some regular terms, okay? Here's what he's talking about. You know, in in a sense, in a real sense, if you're a Christ follower today, in a real sense, there was a definite time in your life when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You were born again. In the spiritual term, you were regenerated. You became a Christ follower, and Christ came and lived within you. In a very real sense, though, we are being saved. Huh? Being saved from the power of sin. That's called sanctification. Sanctification. And that is that growing up Jesus thing. It's, it's, it's learning and allowing Christ to live through you. That's called sanctification. And one thing, one day there's going to be glorification. Either by rapture, amen, or death. We're checking out. And we will be eternally separated from sin. So, so James is saying it's able to save your soul. It's this precious book that helps us. No, no, no. It is the way that God uses to help us grow up in Jesus. That's why, guess what? You ought to read your Bible. You can't count on some guy to stand up for 35 or 40 minutes on a Sunday morning and feed you and last all week. You've got to get into the Word of God and graft it into your life, okay? Hugely, hugely important. All right, so he says, put away all filthiness and, and rampant wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls, to help you grow up in Jesus, to help you be, if you want the spiritual term, to be sanctified. Now, now it's, it's just natural. He goes this. Look what he says in verse number um, 22. But he says, this engrafted word, keep it thought that engrafted word, but be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So the tendency is, here's the tendency. The tendency in our Christian culture, in America particularly, is to be hearers and not doers. In other words, we get full-blown credit if we show up and hear a guy yell. Okay? And that, that gives us the credit, okay? But the truth is that the Word of God becomes powerful when we engraft it and apply it to our lives. James says, don't just be a hearer, but be a doer. Allow that to, to manifest itself in your life in a very powerful and a real way. And that's, that's where the doing part comes in. Again, I can't live the Christian life. Christ has to live within you. But I can say, Christ, I need you. That's part of our doing. And there's some practical parts that we can do. We commit to a quiet time. To, to, we can commit to prayer time. We commit to church time and present ourselves to God to be fed so that we're being grafted in us. We can do that. We can do that. There's a part of doing that's ours. And there's a huge chunk that belongs to Christ. But James says, don't be confused. There's a huge difference between those who hear the word and those who do the word. Now, let me tell you what's going on in my life. There are two major chunks of time that I spend in the Word of God. Um, I think I mentioned like last week or week before. Last year we read the Bible through. We did it chronologically. And at the end of the time I said, hey, I want to do it again. So I'm reading the, the Bible through a second time. That's not a horn tutor. I've got an illustration. So every morning I get three or four chapters of the Word of God. 
Okay? We just finished Numbers, and now we're in Deuteronomy. So I get those. But, but by and large, I, I read it, and it reads to me. I've got one of those iPads that, that read it to you. And so I, I listen, and I also read it with my eyes and my heart. But can I just be truthful with you? I, I, get, I get a few nuggets, but I don't get, I don't get like mind, you know, mind fields, you know, gold, gold mines. I, I don't get like all these wow truths. It's, it's more or less the book. It's, it's four chapters. And I get benefit from it. It teaches me the discipline of reading God's word. It does. Okay? And, and I'll get a nugget. I'll go, wow, that's an incredible truth. But the other chunk of time I spend in the word of God is sharing with you what I'm sharing with you right now. It's a time that me and God spend time together. And I say, okay, God, what do you mean to give the people on Sunday morning? Uh, you do know these things don't come in, in the mail. Okay? So, so, and guess what? Um, that's a lot more detail. That's me in a commentary. It's me looking words up. It's me studying the intent of the word of God. Now, I'll tell you this. I told the prayer circle. I said, if you ever get called to preach, if you're a guy, don't preach James. This thing is messing with my life. Because long before you get it, I get it. And it is messing with my life. Some things I was totally comfortable with, all of a sudden I am really wrestling with. I mean, I'm just really going, but God, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of but God's. So it's really incredible. So, so James is saying, it's cool if you read four or five chapters a day. That's great. But that's not the same of meditating and studying and digging into the Word of God. Don't equate say, I am so spiritual. I read five chapters a day. Question, what are those five chapters doing to you? What are those five chapters doing to you? I mean, if you read five chapters and, and you say, okay, I read my five chapters, and you walk out of your quiet spot and you're not changed... It's not impacted. It didn't speak to your heart. That's what James is saying. That's hearing the word of God. He said, don't just be hearers. Be doers. Let it impact your life. You know, David and I talk a lot about the you know, reformist movement. And, you know, the, the reformers are really big about getting back into the word of God. The knowledge of the word of God. But if we only have knowledge for knowledge's sake, it's not good. There's got to be a personal application of those truths. It's got, to be, it's got to be knowledge with application. And again, if you have a degree of some sort in Bible, congratulations, that's awesome. But how is the Bible impacting your life? How is it causing the way you live to be different? So, so James says, don't, don't, be, don't be just hearers, be doers also. And watch this. Deceiving yourselves. Do you remember verse 16? Verse 16, James was talking about the nature of God, the character of God. Because he's saying God, God is not tempted and will not tempt anybody. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. And then don't deceive yourselves. Because Satan will tell you that Satan's not, or that God's not on your side. That God doesn't like you. That God could care less about you. God this and God that. And James says, don't be deceived. Don't you listen to that liar. Here he says it again. He's using that same word. Deceiving yourselves. Because again, if we go to church three times a week. And we have a quiet time every day. Surely that means we're on track with Jesus. If you can't remember what you read, you can't remember what you've heard, and it doesn't change your life, you need to examine, am I a hearer only, or am I a doer? Or am I deceiving myself into believing that I'm on the right track because I do all these things? Doing does not equate growth. Amen? Hugely, hugely important. 
I know I, I might be rocking your world. I don't know. Okay, now, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24 through 27, I'll, let, I'll put that there for you. It's a credible story about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he does, all right? What he teaches about doing and obeying. All right, now, verse 23 through 25. James says, this is so important, I'm going to give you an illustration. He says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, okay, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now, we've done this. You know, you're in a hurry. You know, you ladies particularly. Now, let's go get a hamburger, your husband says. Okay, let me go powder my nose. Okay? And, and, and you, you ladies do an incredible job of powdering your nose. Y'all have incredible noses. Okay, just incredible noses. Okay. But, but if you're not careful, you'll do such a quick look, you'll miss something. Or you'll see something and go, I don't have time. That's the picture James is giving to us. Okay? He's saying, if you're a hearer and not a doer, then you're the kind of person who looks in the mirror and goes, wow, I really need to do something about that, but runs off and then soon just forgets. Now, how many times have you heard a message? How many times has God spoke to your heart about something in this room? And you go, oh, wow, I need to latch on to that. And two days later, you can't remember it. How many times have you read something in the Word of God and you say, I need to latch on to that. And two days later, you can't remember it. That's the illustration. That means that you're not allowing the words to get engrafted in your life. So you don't forget it. You hang on to it. And I'm sure that means different things for different people. But it definitely means you can't casually handle the word of God. You've got to go deeper. And I don't mean deeper theologically. You've got to go deeper and more intently into the Word of God. So, so if you're a hearer and not a doer, you're like that guy looks in the mirror and goes, I need to do something about that. You get away and you forget. But watch what he says. Verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Hmm. The one who looks. The one who looks. Now, now, there are times I look at Judy and there are times I look at Judy. There are times I give her a casual glance, and sometimes I just look into her soul. That's the picture in verse 25. He who looks into the perfect law. What's the perfect law? Listen to this. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is Laverne's verse in the Old Testament. This is Jesus. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So, so what is the perfect law? God's law is perfect. But it's loving God with all you are and loving people with all you are through Christ. That's what it is. James refers to it in chapter 2 as the royal law. The royal law. So, so he who looks into the perfect law and the law of liberty. Wait, 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 wait. Isn't law, isn't law restrictive? Doesn't law keep me? No, 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 no. Jesus said, you know, if, if you keep my word, you're my disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. That's the law of liberty. God's word is not restrictive. It's freeing. It's freeing. See, that's what, see, the world doesn't understand that, and a lot of Christians don't understand it. This wonderful, wonderful book, there's freedom in this book. God had our intent when he wrote the book to give us this best life here by obeying his word and following his word. It's just incredible. It's powerful. 
He, he looks in the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, who dwells, who lingers, who lives there. Being no hearer who forgets, but a, a doer who acts, he will be blessed in all his doing. He'll have peace and well-doing. Just what Tiffany was saying. You know, when we obey God's word, there's this peace and well-being. And Tiffany told you, were the circumstances good? They were horrible. They were horrible. But she chose Christ. She chose to trust her God who is sovereign. How powerful is that? Amen? Now I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you can listen to the world and you can listen to the liar, Satan, and he'll tell you that's bondage, God doesn't want to have any fun, or you can believe God and trust Christ. And you're going to find out there's real freedom. There's real freedom. There's real power. In living in the word of God. So we close up with this. Wonderful scriptures. Verse 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious as in a hearer versus a doer. I go to church three times a week. I, I read my Bible every day. I write my tight check. I give beyond. If anyone thinks he's religious, I, I, got, I got that part down. I'm doing that. But then he gives us this weird, quirky litmus test. If anyone thinks he's religious... And does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. He, he, he's saying, he's saying that, that when, when, we, when we take this, this idea of, of, of Christianity, of relationship, and, and we become hearers and not doers, an evidence of that is an unbridled tongue. And that religion is worthless. What does it do for you? You know what a guy did to me one time? I met a guy, a guy named Bill Stern. He was one of those big dog preachers to do, you know, like a revival. And so we're sitting there, and he's preaching on, preaching on good-for-nothing church members. That'll make a real popular sermon. And, and so I'm sitting there, you know, going, oh, gosh, where's this going to go? I was pretty young in the ministry. And so Bill goes, so pastor. I said, yeah, Bill, this is in the sermon. So, if you've got a member who doesn't come to church, what good is he? I said, good for nothing. That's right, Pastor, you're right, good for nothing. Hey, preacher, if you've got a church member who doesn't tithe, what good is he? I'm going, Bill, please don't do this to me. Good for nothing. That's right, preacher. And it went on and on. We almost canceled the revival. It was not revival. Take my word for it. But James is saying, here's a real evaluation. If if you've got this religion, if you've got this thing that, that involves you doing the church scene and reading your Bible, but there's no change, what good is that to you? When you end up in a crisis, what does it do for you? What kind of witness are you in this world? He's saying that kind of religion is not a game changer. It makes you feel good if you're doing if you're doing good. See, doing's like this. If you're doing really good, you feel good about yourself, don't you? Keeping those rules, got it down pat. And then you get to chunk rocks at other people who aren't doing as good. If you're doing bad, what do you feel? Guilt. Guilt. You fail. You fail. You fail. You fail. That's the danger of doing. If you base your religion on doing, your relationship with Christ in doing, that's what you get. 
That's what you get. And so he says that kind of religion is worthless. And, and, a, and a real, and a real, a real litmus test is your, what comes out of your mouth. Why? Because Jesus said this. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. What comes out is what's inside. You have a glass full of water and you tip it, what's going to come out? Water. If you've got coffee in it, what comes out? Coffee. And what comes out of this, James says, is what's inside, what Jesus said. Now, so, so what's it look like, Dwayne? Well, here's what it looks like. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Wow. And keep oneself unstained from the world. Isn't that cool? What would we do? We would put the unstained thing first, and then we'd put maybe the widows and orphan thing. No, no. Jesus says you got backwards. God says you got backwards. James says you got backwards. The, the religion that's real, because if you go way back here, long about right here, you're hearing God say, take care of the foreigners, take care of the poor, take care of the widows, take care of the orphans. If you go about right here, you're hearing God say, take care of the foreigners, take care of the orphans, take care of the widows. Amen? And you get all the way over to here, and guess what he's still saying? Religion that is real. And I, I hope you understand that word's not like Baptist religion. Religion that's real is one that touches people's lives. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus came to this world, and he touched people. And, and he says, if you're going to be like me, you touch people. What's really cool I like about Dorisville is we try to touch people's lives. Not for a social gospel. But we want to, to talk about Jesus, but we also want to do Jesus. And that's really huge. Really huge. So, so, so he says, pure religion is that, that way. It's real. It's real. Oh, 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 oh. And you need to live a sanctified life. See, I still say it wrong. You let Christ live a sanctified life through you. Because you can't. But he can. He can. He can. So, so what's the bottom line? What's the bottom line? And this is something, some of you have been going to church like a long time, like your pastor. By the way, I realize I've been a pastor half my life. Thought that this morning. Well, how about that? So, you know, like me, you've been, you've been doing this thing for a long time. It's awful easy to equate reading and hearing to change in your life. And James is saying, the bottom line is this. It needs to be reading and hearing, active hearing, that results in a change in your life through the power of Christ. And the ultimate example of this was right here. It all starts with this. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, we're going to be celebrating that in a couple of weeks When he died that day on the cross, he took God's wrath. And also, he died for our sins because the wages of sin was death. And the change began right there. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so for me, it was October 26, 1975. That day, after years of religion, 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 I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
And a change happened. And a change is continuing. And like I told you, this book is just ripping my life up. The Bible, but the book of James. Because I keep going, I thought I had that mastered, and I found out I don't. I don't. It's a walk with Jesus. It's faith stretched out, as we heard the first week. So if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, in just a few minutes, my friend Brent's going to be standing down front. And we're going to have everybody close their eyes. We're going to sing a verse, probably. But then we're going to have everyone close their eyes. And and Brent's going to be standing down here. And he's standing there for one reason. For you to come and say, I want to know about a Jesus, a Savior, the Son of God, who can change a person's life like that. Like that. And Brother Brent will be here to tell you more about that. The bulk of us, those of us who know Christ followers, who are Christ followers, really need to understand that that changed us. And we need to allow it to keep changing us. And we've got to be careful that we don't have the wrong ooey-gooey. If the ooey-gooey is the kind that we think we can generate and do, it turns out to be chocolate or chocolate brownies without eggs. You really don't want to go there. If we get it right and allow Christ to work through us, it's gooey butter cake times a million. And that's what we want. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads right there? God, thank you so much for sharing. Allow me a chance to share your word today. Teach us, Father, that we can't do it. We are doers. But we're doers as you live it out through us. Now, Father, there's some surrender involved. For some of us today, it means the first time. It means receiving Jesus Christ as Savior. It means acknowledging that we've sinned before a holy God. It means that we can't do anything about that but receive what Jesus Christ has already done. And for my friends here today who have never trusted Christ, I pray today would be that day. May they come forward, take Brent by the hand, and say, Brent, I want to know more about this Jesus. Now, Father, for the bulk of us today, we have made that commitment already. But, Father, because of culture and the way we've been taught, it's awful easy for us to have that tendency for us to do. Us to do. And the more we do, the better we feel about ourselves. And, God, that just takes you out of the picture. Teach us today, God, that we need you, that we cannot do it. You're the vine, we're the branch, and without you we can do nothing. Teach us that today, Father. And may we move beyond simply hearing the word of God and be an active listener, hearing for the intent of implying. In Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.